Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast exists because of the fine folks at patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Head on over to patreon.com slash Dave Chen to help support podcasts like Decoding Westworld and get uh, exclusive bonus content that me and Siddhanth record separately for those folks at the $10 plus tier. Again, that's patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Thanks to everyone who's supporting the podcast. You were as close to a god as a man gets. You and your associates created a world and ruled it absolutely, controlled our every move. And now I'm going to do the same to you. What's that you used to say? Winning doesn't mean anything unless someone loses. You're just here to be the loser. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I am David Chen. I'm Sudhan Badlaka. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. What we do on this show, which is available at decodingwestworld.com, it's also available on YouTube, on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky, is we will discuss, spoil, speculate about every week's episode of Westworld immediately after it airs. We're not going to bring in stuff from future episodes that includes stuff from the next time on preview. We're going to keep it focused on this episode. You can always email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. So this week, we're going to be discussing Season 4, Episode 2, Well Enough Alone. And Siddhanth, let's start by just talking about overall thoughts on this episode. I like to just kind of chat about overall thoughts and uh, yeah, just your initial reaction. Phew, I'm, I'm relieved. It was, it was simple. <laughs> it, it was very, it was, I mean, for Westworld standards, it was straightforward. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we're going to be, you know, pulling our hair out, trying to, you know, detangle too many things that weren't already dangled, you know, in the previous week. So if uh, anything, it clarifies a few things. I agree. I think there were a handful of really cool sequences in this episode. Um, I think there is a lot of setup. This felt like a very transitionary episode. Some questions have been answered. Um, but there are many more big pressing questions that have not been answered. And of course, as with any Westworld episode, it raises a bunch of new questions. Um, so I thought this was a fine, uh, good episode. You know, nothing uh, earth shattering, but not certainly not bad or frustrating in any way. Um, just like a pretty standard transition middle of the season episode for Westworld, I thought. So, uh, yeah, so let's get into it. Uh, before we do that, I do want to call out uh, it is 100 degrees where Siddhanth is today. Um, so you might hear some air conditioning noise in the background. Um, if so, that's because uh, I don't want Siddhanth to be uh, melting uh, while he's recording <laughs> the podcast with me. Um, so uh, just so you know, if you hear that in the background, that's what's going on. All right, let's get to it. This episode opens with Clementine at some kind of market. You, you pegged it at, in Latin America, right? Uh, I couldn't quite figure out where, but they were speaking Spanish and there was a sign uh, for people selling tacos. So could be Mexico, could be somewhere in South America. I'm not entirely sure. Clementine's there. All of a sudden, William slash Man in Black shows up and he wants to know where Maeve is. And he, they, it's not it's basic, not even really a fight scene. He just straight up murders her because she won't tell him. Mm-hmm. Uh, brutal opening scene almost felt like... Um, like a parody of this kind of scene to, to some degree, like uh, where like Clementine's like having a beautiful life. Like, have you seen MacGruber, for instance, the Will Forte movie? Yes, I have. Incredible movie. Incredible movie. And at the beginning of that movie, like Will Forte is like living amongst the people in a rural area, you know, and like he's like, I left that whole life behind me. And that's what I felt like Clementine was in this scenario. Only the man in black shows up dressed up as his character from Westworld. Um, and he, uh, he's not going to let Clementine leave her life behind. 
So let, let's start with some basic factual questions, Siddhanth, which is assuming this is the Clementine host body that used to be in the park, uh, can you give us some details about what has happened to Clementine's host body in the past? Sure. So Clementine is one of the oldest hosts in Westworld. And we know this because she was around when young William, played by Jimmy Simpson, was um, visiting the park for the first time. And, you know, she was there throughout the decades. Um, She was one of the sex workers in Maeve's brothel. And then at one point, when it seems like, you know, her and Maeve are kind of questioning their reality and catching on to what's happening, she is replaced by another host body who also goes by the name Clementine. And uh, we'll get to who that is later in the episode. Yeah. New Clementine, she is often referred to. Yeah, New Clementine. This is original or old Clementine. And then, you know, she shows up again uh, in the, I suppose you would call it the backstage area of Westworld throughout season one. She's featured somewhat prominently in season two, where she is infected with and helps spread this malicious code that keeps making the hosts kill each other. Yes. Um, in, in a rather badass fashion, you know, she did yes. that. Yeah. Riding, riding on a Riding horse. the horse into, yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Horses are big this week. Um, and then somehow, you know, she, she gets out of Westworld and we see her show up once in season three where uh, she comes face to face with uh, Musashi Dolores. Do we have a nickname for this version of Dolores yet? <laughs> Musaurus? <laughs> That's fine by me. Musaurus? It, it sounds yeah. the first one sounds uh, suitably Jurassic World enough in keeping with the whole Crichton theme. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we see her once. We see her get shot. Um, but then I think she escapes because somebody else attacks Musaurus. <laughs> but also, I think she like dies and is resurrected like twice mm-hmm. during season two anyway. Because mm-hmm. um, as we discussed in previous episodes, you know, death doesn't really matter all that much for the hosts anymore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and now she's shown up in season four and is killed yet again. It seems to be kind of, you know, her thing. You know, <laughs> dying and being brought back to life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she, was, so she was she got out of the park in season three and then presumably like escaped after the riots, like escaped kind of live of life of solitude. Yeah. Uh, and didn't expect that William would ever find her. And just um, when she thought we, just when she thought she was out, they pulled her back in. Yeah, and I, I, I talked about Clementine's like body because uh, I wasn't trying to be, um, you know, grotesque in any way. Or I was just trying, or crass in any way. I was just, because in Westworld, basically, uh, it can be like uh, Charlotte Hale's body and then Dolores's mind. As far as we know, it's actually Clementine's mind in Clementine's body, at least in the opening scene, right? We have to assume, I think. <laughs> um, I think that's right. Yeah. The thing is, the episode doesn't give us any reason to believe otherwise. But also, uh, as I've been saying, this is Westworld we're talking about. So anything's possible. Um, well, but, later but, on, you see Clementine has apparently become like a receptionist. Yeah. Uh, a, re- a receptionist assassin at Delos. Is it, is it the same Clementine body that we saw in the opening scene of this episode? Or is it like a new Clementine replica uh, that has like been reprogrammed? Uh, unclear, right? Uh, I don't know if we have any... Unclear, but my assumption, just because we you know see William, you know, quote-unquote, kill her in the opening scene, is that um, this version of Clementine has been reprogrammed somehow and is working for him. Uh, because reprogramming is another thing that you know comes up in a multitude of ways during this episode. Yeah. So I think what we should do is we sh- there's not that many plot lines in this episode. Let's talk about the Christina stuff first, mm-hmm. uh, and then let's just talk about the Caleb and Maeve stuff, which kind of is the rest of the episode. Um, it all kind of ties into Caleb, Maeve, and, and William. Uh, those plots are all related. So. Christina's stuff is kind of on her own this episode, and there's only a few major developments. Uh, first of all, she kind of wakes up again in her house. We see that she's been uh, slashed in the arm. So, like, it was, in fact, real what happened to her. Like, she didn't imagine it or anything. Uh, and then she is really shaken by the fact that this guy offed himself. 
and she talks to her roommate Maya. Like all that Maya has done is basically tried to downplay Christina's concerns this entire <laughs> season so far. He's like, yeah, it's not a big whatever. The guy was out of his mind, and don't worry about it. Maybe his will wasn't updated. You know, like she's just trying to like play off her concerns. You know. And she remembers that, hey, I think I wrote a plot line that was like this guy. And then all of a sudden the guy shows up and it's like the plot line from the thing I wrote. Um, and so she goes to work, but then she notices some dead birds as a bad omen. And she's like, OK, I got to go figure out this guy's foundation that he left all this money to. Um, let me pause there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of skimming over a lot of it. I mean, I'm curious if you had any reaction to these opening segments of Christina's storyline this week. I did, but let me first mention that before she sees the dead birds, she stops to talk to or listen to mm. um, this ranting homeless man on the High Line who we briefly saw last week. And he doesn't seem to make eye contact with her. I don't know if he's entirely in his senses or if he doesn't notice her. No, it doesn't look like anything to me. Uh, but he does talk about, you know, hearing some kind of signals or something. And he mentions this tower and we see uh, the sketch of this tower. And he also mentions you know, something about birds, which maybe that's why Christina takes notice of these birds. Um, it's weird that nobody else seems to notice them, or maybe they just don't care. So obviously, there's a lot of weird stuff going on that she is starting to kind of pick up on. Right. There, there's something, she's questioning the nature of her reality. There's something obviously not right with the weirdness that's going on around her. And maybe some things are lining up a little bit too quickly or too easily um, for them to all just be coincidences. I will say, here's what does feel very real world, Siddhanth, is her boss uh, knowing exactly where her whereabouts are and giving her a hard time for like uh, not showing up to work that day. That feels very true to life, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. It's like, uh, so I notice you're uh, accessing your files and you're doing it from uh, New Jersey. Like, what's what's going on with that? You know, um, her her excuse has fallen apart very rapidly, unfortunately. So relatable protagonist. Indeed. Indeed. Um, OK, so anything else that happens with Christina Sterling? I mean, it's a very. A Twilight Zone-esque storyline, mm -hmm. right, where she shows up to the thing and then the place where he left all the money is seems like completely abandoned, but there's still people there doing stuff. Uh, I think we're probably, and, and then she sees like all these ominous drawings of the tower there as well. Yeah. Uh, whatever that, or a tower, maybe it's a separate one, but it's like, she sees all the drawings of a tower. Uh, it feels like we're maybe like one to two episodes away from finding out what exactly is going on with this, this version of Christina. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, this introduces more questions than it answers, but I think it does it in a really fascinating way because we find out that this whole thing of, you know, her potentially writing someone else's story or informing someone else's, you know, story slash real life is more winding and complicated than we thought because there was already a person by this name who already died, who may have also left money to the same place. So what is really informing what? Did a real event somehow make its way into her subconscious and then mm -hmm. re-manifest as something else, which then affected this Peter person? Where, where does this begin, this <laughs> story, this information loop? Right. Where does it end? Where does it begin? And I think even though we may not be stuck in a literal loop like the characters were in season one, it's starting to feel like we are in a very like, you know, out there kind of way. Like where, where's the beginning? Where's the end? What is going on? Um, but what I also like this time, whenever we see Christina, uh, whether it's in her apartment and, you know, the way she shot through a mirror, like a narrow mirror that kind of closes in on her, or when we see her walking into the mental health facility, she's shot from a distance from behind glass, like she's being watched. And uh, as if this is, you know, the point of view of some kind of stalker. And I don't know if it's meant to, you know, embody a literal person, but it's definitely meant to make us feel a little weird that we are peering in on this woman's life in a way that she can't fully recognize, but is somewhat aware of. Do you agree at this point that what we're seeing with Christina is not base reality or... Like it, it's not taking place in the same reality or timeline as the other as the other storylines. Do you agree with that at this point, or 
Where are I you landing on that? I don't know how to answer that. Is yeah, the you thing. still you still have no. I you're not have, landing anywhere yet. Yeah. No, I still have. Like it could be. It could be taking place like a hundred years in the past, a hundred years in the future. I think um, I've seen I've seen some theories floating around on Reddit that you know this part of the story is actually an adaptation of Future World, the the sequel to the original Westworld movie. <laughs> Um, but to that, I would say, well, I mean, like, there's no difference for us as viewers because the rest of the show already takes place in the future. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah, yeah you, you you say that, but then we also got like a what 1920s or 30s esque world this episode, which is like, is that really that different than Westworld? You know, that's true. That's <laughs> you know, true. Um, but I think let me tell you, Sadanth, I, I think we're definitely not in the same reality. And I'm going to mm-hmm. use a very unconventional piece of evidence for that, uh, for which is when she calls her roommate Maya from mm-hmm. the uh, from the wing of the hospital. Mm-hmm. There is a shot of Maya sitting on a park bench in, in a park uh, with like it's you see her from the back and mm-hmm. you see like all these trees around her. It's one of the most beautiful shots that's ever been on Westworld. Uh, and it looks incredible, but it also looks extremely dreamlike and weird. Okay. And uh, and it's just like, why would they use such a weird, <laughs> like a normal show, quote unquote normal show, would have like a pedestrian phone call interaction like that happen with like a very standard, almost like shot reverse shot mm-hmm. kind of uh, coverage right but the fact that they use this like very ethereal weird shot of her from behind Mm -hmm. makes me think there's something off about this world i know i'm really stretching but it it did stick out to me i was watching i was like what a what a weird shot that one is you know anyway i don't think you're stretching because now that you mention it yeah that is a strange decision yeah Um, like why why wouldn't they just show her like straight on sitting on the park bench like why would they make this like we really weird ass yeah, you know, version of that shot from behind. It just is weird. Anyway, uh, but it's beautiful. It's it is strikingly beautiful. This shot of Ariana Debose as Maya sitting on a park bench from behind, and you see like all these trees and light pouring through them. Uh, it's incredible. So, and look at this point, the creators know that we're going to be questioning every decision. So maybe they're just messing with you. Who knows? Totally, totally. Um, but also another thing that happens in that same scene is when Christina sees what looks to be, you know, construction workers in, you know, a nearby hallway, she she freezes and she says, just leave. And they walk away. Mm-hmm. And that could be one of two things. That could just be a hopeful coincidence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, as we've already been, you know, theorizing because of all the Peter stuff, does she have some kind of influence on the people around her? Are these even people uh, is what we're seeing a real world? Is it a simulation that she is somehow, you know, influencing? And I think, again, that's, you know, it's, it's the purpose of, you know, a, a scene or an interaction like that is to make us and make Christina, you know, question the nature of our reality. Yeah. I am sticking with the interpretation I floated last week, which is that uh, the, we're all, we're, what we're seeing is in the sublime somehow. This is some relic. Uh, element or artifact of Dolores's personality that's architecting narratives so that all the hosts are able to survive and not degrade. That's my story. I'm sticking okay. with it. We'll see what happens. Let's um, let's but, stick with your theory for a second and yes. go back to those three bros we saw getting off the High Line. Is are, are, are human beings now visiting the Sublime? Because no, no, I'm 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 yeah, taking yeah. your theory seriously here. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. We got into a stage where. You know, guests are now not entering a physical world like Westworld, but a virtual world like the Sublime. It's not outside their own possibility. I don't think that's happening. You're right. I mean, as I said last week, none of these theories really account for everything. Yeah. Here, here's my question, though, Siddhanth, is what exactly was said by those dude bros, right? Because I, I, I think they said something like, it's your first time here, is it, right? Is that what they said? or Something like that. Like, they were, you know kind of praising whatever experience this was. Oh, that was so cool. And one of them definitely says, I can't believe it's your first time here. And then another says something like, uh, come on, I want to show you something cool or something like that. Yeah, I, I guess it, it, it felt vague enough to me that it didn't, um, you know, maybe that's um, memories that the hosts have of 
um, of visitors to the park manifesting themselves in this narrative somehow. You know, maybe. Okay. You okay. You know, I, I feel just, like if we just came up with that. I extemporized that, Siddhant. You know, maybe. <laughs> if we throw out <laughs> enough of these, we'll eventually land on some combination that'll end up being true. If there's a infinite monkeys on infinite typewriters, eventually we will figure out what the plot of Westworld this season is. So, oh God, we're the monkeys, aren't we? Yes, indeed. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, anyway, I, I like this. It, it, taken by itself, the Christina storyline is like a cool little Twilight Zone esque episode, right? It's like, oh yeah, oh she goes to the, and I like the way you put it of who is creating what. What is the originator of the story that's then feeding back into the reality? Like it's, it feels like an Ouroboros, like snake eating itself yeah. kind of deal, you know? Um, yeah. And I, I like that it's disorienting in that way. Um, so I appreciate it. We should, of course, point out. I don't think uh, we saw Teddy at any point in this episode. Oh, we didn't. So no James Marsden, no Teddy, which is very frustrating because, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I am kind of legit frustrated when that happens, when it's like at the end of last episode, we tease a thing and then you're like, okay, I can't wait to see the thing. And then you watch the episode and then the thing doesn't show up. Um, You'll see him in season five. It's fine. I, <laughs> I think he'll be back like next episode of the episode after, but uh, not yet. Any other thoughts on the Christina storyline this episode? Hmm, I think it leaves off in an interesting place um, with her, you know, seeing the tower sketches on the wall of this facility. And also Maya kind of being on her side a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, kind of assuring her that she's not insane, mm-hmm. um, which then made me question, wait, is she you know, in on whatever this is, aware of whatever this is, or is she just a good friend and roommate? <laughs> right. Right. Um, or is or, she or, is she the opposite, right? Which is she's trying to subvert or uh, sabotage Christina in any way. Or is she trying to help her? It could be any of these things. Indeed. All right. Uh, before we move to the other plot lines, let's take a quick break and talk about uh, what else you're working on these days, Siddhanth. Sure. So uh, for Vulture's Streamliner Vertical, which is all about the streaming age, um, I recently wrote um, a guide to Z5, that's Z-E-E-5, which is an Indian streaming service that made its way to India, sorry, excuse me, made its way to the United States last June. Um, and the reason there's been some interest in it here is because it's where you can find the Telugu language blockbuster RRR in its original Telugu language, because mm. on Netflix it's only in Hindi. Um And I thought, you know, if people are going to sign up, I may as well tell them a little more about the app and give them some more recommendations because there's a whole host of stuff out there in various languages. Cool. Uh, Well, you can find that at Vulture. I want to give a shout out to the folks over at, uh, you know, tell them to go check out my podcast, Culturally Relevant, at culturallyrelevantshow.com. It's my semi-weekly or bi-weekly interview podcast where I talk to a variety of different writers, actors, and journalists about stuff that's happening in our culture and society. So check that out, a culturally relevant. Uh, okay, let's get to the rest of the episode. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A lot of Caleb and Maeve this episode. It's a very Caleb and Maeve heavy episode. Uh, Before we leave that opening scene, though, with William uh, just slitting Clementine's throat, uh, you know, we we all observed that William showed up in his man in black uh, full getup in that scene. The dude is basically like a like a LARPer. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you know, he's he's basically like a he's a LARPer. Like he he goes and plays Man in Black in the Westworld Park, and then he like likes to be that person in reality. And um, we see him with the full getup when he assassinates Clementine, but also when he's like playing golf with I think the vice president. Is it? Oh yeah. Um, so just just anytime you see Willem, he's a LARPer. That's all, that's all I'm gonna say. And it's I you know I don't know if this show is pro or anti LARPing culture quite yet, but uh, it's undeniable. It's undeniable that he's LARPing. Okay. Well, every LARPer dies like a, a bunch of times, so who knows? <laughs> Indeed. We see Caleb and Maeve uh, drive to this senator's house. Uh, a little bit of Westworld, classic Westworld hand-wavy stuff. Like, how did they know about the senator and what the senator's role is? Uh, I think Maeve just straight up like introduces that idea at the end of the last episode without real any any fanfare, if I recall correctly, right? Yeah, uh, I think we're led to assume that she figured it out by getting into Colonel Brigham's memories when she mm. cut his head off. Mm, there you go. Okay, yeah, no, great, great call out. And you know, she uh, so they go and see the senator. They realize that they're hosts, uh, and then a fight scene ensues where you know, Caleb's arm is dislocated, and Maeve stabs people to death, and then shuts down the senator. And it's all like actually really cool. Like it's a pretty cool, well done scene. Um, Maeve is unable to shut down the uh, other hosts using her force powers because uh, these are better models. But she was able to do it eventually. What a, whatever, whatever, you know. She covertly downloaded an update. This is the, uh, you know, unplug it and plug it back in style of technology explanation. Like, yeah, she didn't work when she tried it the first 18 times, but then she tried it the 19th time and then that's when it froze him. But not before they could have a really cool action scene. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I think it was a really cool action scene with uh, decent camera move, uh, movements. And it's cool that like Anastasia... Uh, like does a lot of the fight scene wearing what appears to be like a sort of formal dress, which mm-hmm. is just very difficult to do a fight scene in. Like I always admire whenever they're able, cause it's like you can't like put any padding or anything like that under there. Like from a stunt perspective, it's very hard to do. Um, so yeah. And then she like inter- Maeve interfaces with Anastasia and then like finds out what happened to the original Senator and his wife. Now, before we get to that, any thoughts on like this entire sequence? It begins with them just driving and exchanging banter. And this is the most unexpected dynamic. Uh, because, again, I think they met maybe once last season towards the very end. Yeah, and in now, the final episode, I think. Yeah, yeah, and now I just want Caleb and Maeve seen. Yes. I, I this just, is a, like... There's a, great, there's a great line where, uh, you know, he's talking about his wife and kid and... Uh, she, he, she said, he says like, they're the best thing that ever happened to me. And she says something like, well, to be fair, it was a really low bar before. Um, <laughs> you know, it's really amazing, amazing, uh, amazing line that she says, um, uh, to be fair, that bar was rather low considering the life that you lived prior. That's what, that's the line <laughs> that she says. It's just like, wow, extremely dry and brutal. And, uh, I love that. But yeah, I think they have a great dynamic. I'm enjoying it. Um, and then when they finally figure out uh, that the senator and his wife are hosts, or, or rather, Maeve, I guess, brings the information on us by shooting one of them. And you're totally in Caleb's shoes, like, wait, what, what are we here to do? What's happening? Because um, I'm assuming, you know, she senses it with her, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with her force powers. powers. We got yeah. to figure out a word for it. Yeah. Her, you know, midichlorians, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I like that the senator and his wife are just acting so normal and mm-hmm. in character. Uh, because clearly they're meant to, you know, they're meant to blend in. They're meant to fool people. Yeah. Um, and I like what the, the host version of the senator says when um, Maeve makes him reveal his base code. He claims to be an emissary of a new world order. Yeah. <laughs> and that is so sinister. Yeah, uh, and there's 249 others like him, apparently. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So these are the hosts that Charlotte Hale or Charloris was building at the end of last season, right? Like, at the end of post credit scene last season, she reveals she has, like, all these host-making machines, and uh, presumably she's building these 249 things. But I like how uh, his his 
re- regular re- response is like, I'm Congressman blah, blah, blah from the district of blah, blah. And then she says base code only. And he's like, I'm an emissary of the new world order. And it's like, wow, that's a big, um, big difference there. Um, how do we know that wasn't in character? How do we know this, <laughs> you know, Senator isn't part of like some cult as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's true. Also, I think, uh, I don't remember when it's covered in the episode, but, we do find out that the thing we saw last episode was actually a flashback. Yes. That she and Caleb actually have been on some adventures. Maven and Caleb have been on some adventures and, uh, and that he almost died, but he survived. So like, yeah. it looked like he died uh, in that brief little clip. And probably my guess is we're probably going to see more of the flashback or whatever later this season. Uh, I don't know, but anyway, he, uh, so that was a real thing that actually happened. Basically, I just wanted to. It was a mystery from last episode. I wanted to mention that mm-hmm. that is discussed. But yes, they discuss it later in the episode. But uh, just again, I just want to supercut of all their scenes together because they're so good, so good. Yeah, they have great chemistry. Um, so then there's a flashback, and you f- see how like William replaced the Congressperson and his wife uh, with hosts and. Uh, Charloris was there and uh, she says something like, oh, we got to experiment. Uh, I need help researching a new experiment. Take her to the barn with the rest of the livestock. So like we now, I think, understand that the host fly, like mind control flies are some kind of uh, exp- like they're not a fully tested technology yet. And I think it makes sense, narratively speaking, that they're not fully tested because if they could fully mind control, there would be no need for hosts. Right. Uh, there would no need, no need to like replicate uh, humans as host bodies and have them like replace the humans, because if you can control people's minds, you don't need to do that. Um, yeah. And I-, I think she uh, kind of says something to that effect. Uh, she she does. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. But later in the episode, she does kind of, you know, comment on the two different things. Right. But coming back to this flashback that we were talking about, I am really enjoying it as a narrative device when Maeve is able to experience someone else's memories it makes it very narratively convenient for us to then you know jump from one character or one timeline into another one without it feeling at random um because even though the flashback is presented from sort of a neutral perspective you know she's she's seeing what you know theoretically excuse me she's seeing what i was so excited that i'm just back the table um i love it she's yeah. She's, seeing she's experiencing what, it subjectively, right? Yeah. Yes, experiencing it subjectively for, from the host senator's point of view, even though the host senator is not in the room when the scene begins. So that's one thing you just kind of have to accept, you know, that happens that we're seeing it from, we are seeing it from a more neutral perspective. Um, it's a great scene. It's really eerie when the senator and his wife, you know, see these doppelgangers of themselves walk in kind of the same way William did at the end of last season. Um it's like, uh, t- you know, the T-1000 in Terminator 2. Like, when you see a robot that looks like yourself, you are in deep trouble, basically. Yeah. So I actually want to point out something that uh, Vulture's TV critic, Roxana Haddadi, pointed out um, about this episode. Uh, she was wondering if, um, you know, all these replicated hosts just have an entire wardrobe of the people they're replicating. And then, you know, they, you know, wear whatever they're wearing in that particular scene and then stroll in. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, my guess is they're like, oh, we got we got to get the wardrobe right for the entry, so like yeah. for maximum dramatic impact. Don't, but it's just for the it's just for the meet and greet. Once the, yeah. that's done, then they can just use the actual wardrobe of the humans, right? So, uh, but yes, I, it raises all sorts of questions about how this replacement process actually works. Um, but uh, I, I agree, and also the way that those flashbacks happen is always like really cool. There's usually like a flashing black. And then some, sometimes it'll like smash cut black, uh, back to Maeve uh, mm-hmm. afterwards. And that's really cool as well. Um, the way it like cuts between yeah. the flashbacks and her like tuning into them, I think is really well done. So um, when it cuts back to her this time, her reaction is so funny. Just the <laughs> dry delivery of, mm-hmm. oh, well, it's actually worse than I thought. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you, Maeve. I'm with you. So they go to the barn to find uh, Anastasia Prime. Right. Uh, and she has killed all the horses. Like there's blood everywhere. There's dead horses everywhere. 
And Anastasia is in a really terrible state. She starts talking about opening night of Don Giovanni, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a Mozart uh, opera. And she says, you know, I've done my part. Now it's time to do yours. And she like attacks Caleb. Maeve straight up shoots Anastasia in the head in a seek in a moment that I thought was almost comical because it's like, Maeve's like, yup. Um, there's no saving her now. Whatever she, if she was human before, she's definitely not human now. It's like, Maeve, you don't know that. You don't know that Maeve. Like do you, 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 it's not worth taking a chance that maybe you can bring her back. You know, to be fair, <laughs> Maeve has a sense of when someone is robot. So <laughs> maybe she sensed, you know, maybe she sensed robot flies in her. <laughs> yeah, but like maybe it's reversible, dude. Like it, it just reminds. It's like somebody who like accidentally kills an innocent bystander in an action movie, and they're like, they're like, oh, um, I saw, or they they were starting to turn into a zombie. Didn't you see? Like, it was a, you know, and it's like, dude. You don't even know. We literally don't even know what's going on. Maybe you don't need to murder them quite yet, you know? <laughs> I think if this season... I, I love what this season is doing with the flies and making the flies into this, like, kind of monstrous thing, right? Like yeah. uh, like a horror villain, basically. Like, these flies are kind of a horror villain. If there was none of the other sci-fi stuff and William and robot uprising stuff, and this episode was... This season was just about the flies as a villain that would actually, I don't know that that would be more interesting than what the show is, but it's like that that's enough to almost sustain it. Like certainly several episodes of a show is uh, the way they're conceptualizing mm-hmm. um, the flies and the way that they're executed, you know uh, how you see them, how they show up. I think it's just really cool and creepy and well done this season. What do you think? No, completely. And it also brings up some really eerie implications. Um, just when, you know, the burn scene begins, uh, what went through my head is, okay, at, at this point, what is the difference between the real Anastasia and the host Anastasia? If they're mm-hmm. both, you know, identical and also have been programmed or reprogrammed for very specific purposes, you know, and obviously there's a, you know, to a degree a physiological difference. One is literal flesh and blood and one is meant to impersonate it. But from the standpoint of, you know, being controlled or the space they occupy conceptually as the senator's wife. Um, what is the difference between them if they can both be so easily programmed and controlled? And that's a scary thought. And even scarier is the fact that once, um, you know, uh, this human Anastasia delivers this message, um, this invitation to Maeve and Caleb, she she says that, she says something to the effect of, you know, needing to be freed or put out of her misery. And so what I'm wondering is, wait, was she programmed to attack Maeve and Caleb for the express purpose of them killing her? Like, was that part of the Mm. plan? Mm. Like making these other characters kill her? And if so, damn, Shaloris is cold. (laughs) Indeed. I think... The big difference, right, so far as we can tell, is the fly-controlled humans can't can't really pass themselves off as uh, the former human person. They're they're not convincingly a replica of the human person, at least not for extended periods of time. Um, Which raises the question, Siddhanth, you know, who is worthy of being taken over by flies versus who is worthy of being replaced by human hosts, right? Apparently there's a hierarchy and I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say if robots are going to take over the world, I'd rather be one of the people that it was worth the trouble of making a robot version of me for, you know, don't, don't take over my brain with flies. Like, uh, I'm like, if, if, if I have flies going in my nose, you know, that my life has gone wrong somewhere. Basically, uh, I want them to slaughter me and then also replace me completely with a robot. That's kind of my preference. Well, no, because you say, you say nose, but you, you see what happens later. In oh the yeah. Episode. It goes in the so guy's eye. Worse. Yeah. Oh my God. I'd rather have a fly in my nose than in my eye. I'm sorry. <laughs> pretty, pretty scary. But it's funny because this, this, uh, like Department of Justice guy, right? Who you're talking about? He shows up and he tries to strong arm his way into Westworld, and then like uh, Charlotte Charloris puts flies into him, and then like later on, there's the vice president, and I think they replace him with a robot body. Is my guess probably we, we because he isn't like freaking out and begging for death? 
That that's right. And uh, then so at the chill. end, at the very end of the episode, we see William like acknowledge the Department of Justice guy and the vice president. And the vice president looks like a normal dude, and the uh, Department of Justice guy looks like a zombie. Right. Oh, I didn't um, notice the Department of Justice guy there at the end. Yeah, I, I think he's, stand, he's standing. Ne- well, he's standing next to him, completely like with a no expression on his like expressionless face, staring into the middle distance. Oh no! And so it's like if you have the flies going in you, you're basically your personality's gone. But if you have the robot version, you're like a decent approximation. And oh, no. I just felt like, man, that guy, the Department of Justice guy, not even worthy of robot version. You know, like that's where that's how low he was on the hierarchy. Unfortunately, um, anyway, oh, I feel just, bad some, for him. just some, just ran- some, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's doubly bad because not only is, are you basically dead from that point forward, but you, you don't even have the dignity of having a robot body, you know, like <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. We, we spent too long talking about this. So, so anyway, uh, she says, you got to go see this opera. So they go see this opera Somehow they acquire the clothes to go see the opera. They look awesome. And then you find out that the opera is actually, you know, a transportation to go to uh, another park. And, you know, I didn't know where we were going. I thought it was actually maybe we're going back to Westworld, which would have been awesome. Going back to the park. It would have been cool to see how that all happened. Um, We see new Clementine kind of introduce them to things. And in the show notes, you made an observation that I also made, which is... It seems as though Maeve did a Mission Impossible-esque thing where she created a reservation for her and Caleb out of thin air, right? Yeah. Because he's like, oh, I don't know what name the reservation's under. You'll have to help me with that, honey. And then she, like, <laughs> theoretically, like, makes the reservation up on the spot. But then later on, there's a bizarre line where New Clementine says, everything is fit according to your sizes. And it's like, well, if she just may- – maybe, like, they – threw it together really quickly after she made the reservation for them. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is, she's like, yes, there's a new reservation. They're like, oh shoot. Like he's a size eight, you know, like, <laughs> or maybe Caleb genuinely didn't know whose name the reservation was under. And he's just awkward <laughs> in social situations. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. It's very possible. It's very possible. So whatever the case, like they've been led back to this park and, uh, I mean, it's not super clear why they're back at the, like they're there. I I watched the episode twice and it's because Anastasia says, Hey, you got to go. It's, it's opening night. We got to go see Don Giovanni. And like, I guess they, they figured out where Don Giovanni was and then went there. Right. Like that's kind of, but they're, they're just following a lead, I guess is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Is, I assume William and or Charloris, Program the host Anastasia, sorry, the, the real Anastasia. See, even I'm confused. Um, programmed her to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but did they know that that message would eventually go to Maeve? Because I know that, you know, yeah. they're looking for Maeve. That, and... That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. It's like, it's confusing. It's like, yeah. e- even if they programmed him to say that or her to say that, like, how did they know that she would go at the right time? Because it feels like. These reservations are a specific day are for a specific day and time. Like, did they know that Maeve was going to kill the? It doesn't make any, you know. So whatever. I'm not going to think too hard about it because the show hasn't put too much work in explaining it. But suffice to say, they're chasing down a lead. Yeah, um, and that's and, the only reason why they're there at the new park, right? And so. it did have me wondering, you know, when they first enter the opera house and see these empty seats, and then take the record needle off, and then you know, go into like a secret cabin. Why all this obfuscation? It's just a party. And then the train starts moving and then mm-hmm. you hear the Westworld theme kick in. I'm like, it's park time, baby. We're heading back. Yeah, baby. We are heading back. Mm-hmm. Those of uh, you only listening on audio, you can't see me throw my hands up in the air in excitement, but I just did. Not quite back to where we thought we were, to a new park. But before we get to that, we have to talk about one of the biggest reveals of the episode, which is that William is alive. <laughs> right? William is alive. We last saw William's throat getting slit at the post-credit sequence of episode three, leading many of us to conclude that he's probably dead. However, as I pointed out in our preview episode, you never actually see him expire. And so anything's possible. And and, and, and um, he is wearing a suit that very conveniently covers up his neck uh, so you can't see his gigantic neck gash. Um, but... <laughs> 
I like how uh, I, I really enjoy thinking about how the the conversations must have gone around William Sidonth of like, and with Ed Harris, so they're like, Ed Harris, we want to bring you back. And then he's like, okay, yeah, great. I'm back as a host. And he's like, yeah, yeah. But we also want to bring back the original human version of you. And he's like, oh, but, but didn't you remember I got my throat cut last episode? Oh, right. Oh, right. Shit. Um, okay. Well, you're going to wear this full body suit that has all these cables on it. That's what they use to keep you alive. And he's like, really? Do I have to do that? And they're like, yes. Um, and it looks really cool. And apparently, Charloris has an entire room dedicated to just keeping William alive. That's the mm. whole... There's nothing else in that room except this really cool-looking <laughs> chamber um, to keep William, you know, alive and kind of in that uh, Vitruvian man pose. Um, and and, and think, as you heard... Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I think Bio's remorse is definitely, definitely at the center of having this version of William here. And I think one of two things is going on. One, either the writers realized, oh, wait, we just we just killed off this main dude in a post credit sequence. That's kind of anticlimactic. We had we had more to do with him. Let's bring him back. Mm-hmm. Or, 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 and stick with me because, you know, we don't see whether or not he has a neck gash and he also doesn't have that facial scar anymore on his, on his cheek. Uh, Shaloris, you know, does kill William at the end of last season. Yeah, and his, then realizes, his, his, no, human body, his human his body. His human body. And then realizes, ah. Oh, I wanted to mess with him. I wanted to torture that guy. And then she creates another host, William, who she convinces is the real William, just so she can torture him. <laughs> so that's uh, that's three possibilities, right? Yeah. This is the reanimated William from last season. Um, or actually two possibilities. And the other one is uh, he is a host version of William and the real William actually did die last season. Uh, both of them equally plausible, in my opinion. So, no comment on which one is actually true. So, all, all we can agree on is that we like his Tron legacy suit. Indeed, indeed. Uh, why, why did she bring him back? Uh, unclear. Other than she said she, you know, she like you said she wants to mess with him. She wants him to, you know, no one can win unless someone loses, and she wants him to lose. And I guess she wants him to experience. Uh, subjugation and torture and pain in the way that he inflicted on host people. But what's most, what's most interesting to me is uh, Charlora says, quote, I want my people to be able to grow flourish, to find their own identities. I have plans for your kind. This is very much the plot line that I thought we would get in season three of Westworld. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is, uh, uh, sorry, Dolores breaks out of the park and is like robots should have a place in the world and humans should be enslaved and so on. And that's what I thought season three would be about. But instead season three was about Dolores freeing humans. Right. And now it almost feels like they've, they were like, Oh, let's have a do over on season three. We're like, forget about everything that happened in season three. This time it's about the robots really taking over, you know, uh, which I thought was kind of amusing. I mean, to be fair, it's a different version of Dolores. So it's not the same Dolores, but uh, it it did feel kind of a reset to me, and kind of more like a conventional path for this plotline to go down. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I will say, what makes it fun is the fact that Tessa Thompson is so good in the role. She's very good. She, yeah, go ahead. Whatever's happened in the last seven years, and I, I know at the end of last season we see Charlotte's, you know, lose her family or Charlotte's family, and then it kind of, you know, it turns her extremely bitter. But yeah, she's really spiraled in the last seven years. She is straight up sadistic and I love it. And I I only wish that, you know, the scene where um, I think it's Clementine who ties uh, the Justice Department guy's throat to the car seat. Mm-hmm. I only wish that that was her introduction this season, that that was Charlotte's introduction rather than when she strolls in in the Senator flashback in soft focus. Because you first see just her eyes in the car mirror and it's it's so sinister i love it i love it i love it i love it yeah yeah the way uh charloris was lit in that scene like from in the backseat of the car and you could see kind of her outline of her face incredibly good Uh, i originally was not a great believer in tessa thompson in this role i thought she was far too young for i think she was like a board member or something when you're first introduced to her and uh and it just never struck me as right casting, but she's in her late thirties now. And I think she's crushing it in this role. Like, I think she's very good 
as Charloris and, you know, evil robot that wants to take over humanity. So, I mean, do you have any speculation on what her plan might be? I, I think it's all I got right now is fairly simple. Uh, she wants to subjugate humans by enslaving them with uh, fly robots and then allow uh, the actual robots to run free and roam about the planet as they wish. That's kind of that's kind of all I got right now. Yeah, in terms of the broad strokes, that seems to be the plan. How anything else factors into it, how you know the reopening of the box factors in, the buying of the Hoover Dam, how that factors in. Yeah, we have no idea at this point. So, so at least we, at least this episode gives us the broad parameters, and then is going to color within existing lines rather than just creating bigger and bigger boxes. At least we yeah. have that. Yeah. So William gives a speech, and he he drops some tantalizing clues about the universe during the speech at the end, where he's introducing this new park, right? He says, uh, nearly 150 years ago, we had our first great war and first pandemic. He is referring not to World War III and COVID, but I think to World War I and the flu of the uh, the Spanish flu, 1918 flu, right? Um, followed by the Roaring Twenties, which is also alluded to. Uh, so based off of that information, you believe that the show takes place in like 2060, 2070 timeframe, right? Thereabouts. Um which was kind of disappointing because I liked the fact that it was set in just the future, just some vague yeah. nebulous future. Um, I, I wish William had said hundreds of years ago and didn't say like 150 years ago, right? Yeah, because it really like means, pinpoints it in time. And now you're thinking about like, wait, is that even possible to happen in the next 50 years? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Because then that means that the, uh, the young William scenes and the beginnings of Delos happen basically in our present. Yeah. Um, Which is maybe like they could, maybe they could in the next few years, but I liked it when it was more ambiguous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But another theory: <laughs> what if he was referring to COVID? What if he? <laughs> what if? What if? Whatever becomes World War Three, you know, we we sort of lose our sense of history and history mm-hmm. is written, and then that starts to be referred to as the First World War, and it's 150 years from now. But but then like I don't think so. Don't no, think so. I don't think so either because I, I did initially think that for a second. But then the fact that you know they're recreating and re-entering uh, a very specific you know era, the early twentieth century, makes me think that okay, they probably do remember some amount of history. Yeah. Uh, so he then reveals the park, which is is a version of Chicago in the early nineteen hundreds, right? Presumably, what. 1920s, 1930s, 1940s? Like, when are you thinking this is? So I would say 20s or 30s. Chicago was just my guess, just because so much of it is associated the, the train, with... The train says Chicago Does on it. it. So okay, I think, yeah, okay, yeah. I missed that. All right, in that case, it is Chicago. I, I assume in the 1920s or 30s, because that's when you really had, um, you know, the rise of, you know, the, a lot of classic gangster movies. And that's where a lot of our understanding of that kind of imagery comes from. Um, so it's basically some kind of mobster pop, although at the same time, and, and again, it's like 90s, 20s or 30s fashion, uh, even though w- William does refer to it as like recreating or reentering some kind of golden age. But in the US, I know the golden age was like the 1950s or whatever it was. Um, yeah, I could be wrong about this. But, you know, he could he could have just been it could just be a turn of phrase. So in all probability, you know, this is Scarface land, original Scarface, not Al Pacino Scarface. Right. I guess I'm curious what is the narrative function of putting us back in this park, right? Like, is it just like, here's a fun divergence? Remember in, I think, season two, there was an episode called Akane no Mai that took place in, I think, feudal Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, it like, that was a cool episode, but it, it ultimately didn't impact the long, like, the mm-hmm. through line of the uh, season that much. And I'm curious, like, is this one just... is introducing this new park area and it's super cool to see people reanimated the production design uh the westworld theme song in old timey instrumentation like that's all really cool stuff but what is the narrative purpose of it like is it just here's an excuse for us to play dress up and do cool stuff in old timey world or is there going to be a specific reason why this period of time is important to this plot. I am curious. I, I don't know. And and is he expecting that this will be a bigger draw than the other stuff? And it's so like, why, why would people be like, hey, I don't trust Westworld, the place where all the massacres happened. <laughs> but I am going to go to Chicagoland in the golden <laughs> era. You know, like, 
it doesn't I don't understand like from a business perspective or from a narrative perspective for the show like where this is going at all. It it looks cool though. It's a cool reveal to end on, yeah. but uh do you have any speculation or any thoughts on that front? In the long run, I'm not entirely sure just yet. I think you're onto something with the whole thing of like, oh, let's, you know, let's play dress up because that is part of the fun of the show. But you did bring up an interesting point with the um, Feudal Japan episode, because even though in the long run, that doesn't really amount to much, it does serve an interesting temporary narrative function, isolated from everything else, uh, because the stories you see uh, unfold in that, you know, I guess samurai movie inspired park are the same as the stories mm. unfolding in Westworld, which kind of comments on the way Westerns and samurai films, you know, seem to influence each other over time. And yeah, that was cool. That was cool. Yeah. And I think there is also some level of parallel here, because if this is the 1920s, if this is, you know, um, the, the, that would be during Prohibition, right, in mm-hmm. the U.S., and you almost have a parallel there because William is, by setting up this park, is doing something that is essentially outlawed by the government. So, you know, kind of breaking the rules of this prohibition on setting up Westworld. Um, and it's good that we finally have an answer as to what he's trying to do throughout the episode. Because I also watched it twice. And until we get this answer at the end that, oh, he's opening up parks... Every scene is just, you know, talking around the point. Oh, will you will you make an exception? Will you give yeah. me a call? Will you listen to me? It's like, what are you talking about? What are we supposed to be invested in here? Yeah. Um, although, to, to go back a few scenes, it is really funny that the vice president um, basically shits his pants when William makes his third hole in one <laughs> on the golf course because that's when he realizes he's a host. Yeah, yeah. Too good at cool. golf. Uh, that was cool. Um, so I think we're we're wrapping up. Uh, we we've already talked about some of the questions we have. I'm curious, like, you know, hopefully Teddy's going to get back into the mix next week, and we're going to figure out what's going on with Christina soon. Um, I think I think the show really needs to answer one vital question if it wants to keep its its core audience hooked. Mm-hmm. Is Stubbs in the dub? I think that's an apt question. You know, I, I I feel like I might have heard that before, but maybe maybe it's the first time you're bringing it up. <laughs> um, the uh, any other observations? There is one observation I wanted to make. Uh, I, I was going to call out what you said too about um, the the hole in one. Like that's a cool way to reveal that a character is a robot. Like I like that a lot. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, there was. Uh, you you pointed out in the show notes about like them signing off their privacy rights, you know, the, agreeing to the terms of service, which is like, oh, still got those TOS that they got to <laughs> agree to. It's probably harvesting, you know, way more data than Facebook has on us. Um, but you know, good good to know. Uh, another thing I wanted to point out that I enjoyed from this episode is uh, Clementine from Dell is just straight up railroading the Department of Justice guy, uh, which kind of is a is a vivid depiction of the idea of. CEOs in some ways being more powerful than government agents. Like that's, that's the vision that this imagine the future that this imagines is like, what if CEOs could just say like, you know, F off if you're somebody from the government Uh, and it's not inconceivable based on the direction our society's headed, that that would be the case. So, and this is despite the fact that the justice department guy um, cites his reason for showing up as a potential national security threat. Right. What was that about, by the way? Um, I, assume, is it, I assume it's just, oh, you know, opening up another Westworld park will lead to, to more, you know, yeah, robot massacres, I guess. I thought it was they've gotten wind that the the uh, Delos is slowly replacing government agents with hosts, you know, and they're like, you must be stopped. Um, but Could be that. I guess uh, that hasn't really happened until this episode, you know, right? I mean... You know, the guy says there's 249 of them out there, right? So what do they do? Are they just chilling or are they like out there actively replacing people already? You know, who knows? So, all right. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode, right? Sadanth, anything else? I think that's about it. All right. If you want to listen to 
uh, our Decoding Westworld Extra. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash Dave Chen. Find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld.gmail.com. We'll be back next week with another recap of Westworld. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.